so we've been in this series called Assume I Know Nothing, and uh, really the whole idea is if you're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus, if you're trying to figure out what is the Bible all about, like if we just kind of started from scratch and said, let's just assume we know nothing, right? Let's just assume that we know nothing. And some of us, we're newer to the faith. We're newer to the idea of trying to follow Jesus and discover what he is. And so this really is for you. The rest of us, we, maybe we've been following Jesus for a little while and you might be thinking to yourself, well, I, I don't know that I want you to assume I know nothing. I've been around a little bit. I know Jesus. Well, this is a great way to kind of get back down into the absolute foundation of A, what is it we believe and B, how can we help other people that we know uh, get introduced to Jesus. I don't, I know if you're a little bit like me, it can be easy to jump into jargon on just about anything. If you and I start talking about Star Wars, I'm going to start talking about midichlorians and, you know, all these different things that like most of you already are tuned out. I said one word and you're like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. And that's how people can be with our faith. If we're not careful, we can start talking about things about Jesus and, and Christianity. And they're like, whoo, you lost me at Right, And so we have to be careful if we've been a believer for a while to help people along to understand who Jesus is and help him make sense. So we've been kind of walking through this overarching story uh, for the better part of this year, right? And so if, you, uh, if this happens to be your first weekend, I couldn't encourage you strongly enough to go back out and check out some of these resources. We got some podcasts. One of them follows along with our weekly teachings, so just check that one out. You can find those on our website. You can find those on our app, which you can find through the the thing on your chairs there, like you would wa- uh, not want to miss checking out that teaching and dialing into all of those things. Uh, great resources there. Now, uh, this weekend, we're talking about freedom. We're going to talk about freedom. It's something that we, uh, I think, we can overlook or misunderstand as we're kind of getting to know about the faith. And we're just going to start quite simply uh, from this verse where Jesus says, if... Um, I don't, I don't, I don't, we'll see. Okay, so Jesus says this, if the sun sets you free, you are truly free. Now, don't get lost in the simplicity of those words, okay? If the sun sets you free, you are truly free. My hope and my prayer this weekend is that we would like really internalize what Jesus is getting at here. That this isn't some like pithy, cute little statement like, yeah, yeah, you're free, here we go. Like, but you're really, really free. It's handled, it's done, he's taken care of it. Now, here's a couple of things we'll just get into right away from the very beginning. That doesn't, that mean, I shouldn't say that means that you're not just forgiven. A lot of us, when we think about coming to faith in Christ, uh, as we've heard some of the previous weeks, we think about all these things. Jesus came to die on the cross. He rose again. And one of the phrases that will often pop out of our mouth very regularly is so that Jesus would forgive us. And that's fantastic, and it's wonderful, and it's true. But he forgave us to set us free. He forgave us to set us free. We're not just half free, we're not almost free, we're free free. You see, the cross doesn't just set you right, it sets you free. And I I might, we'll see, I might need partnership this weekend, we'll see what happens. But the cross doesn't just set you right, it sets you free. And so many of us think that we need to get right before God, and we do. 
So many of us think about our faith and we're like, I'm, I'm messed up, I have messed up, there are things in my life that are junk, all of this stuff that's wrong in me, I need to get that fixed, and we do. But Jesus doesn't just die on the cross so that we can be set right, made right before God. Again, he does it to set us free. You are saved, you're cleansed, and Jesus' life now stands in your place as a believer in him. Okay, great, I'm free. For what? What am I free for? Well, that's what we're gonna take a look at this weekend. I wanna show you four different ways in which being free in Christ is massively helpful, is massively wonderful, uh, and is massively foundational for who we are as followers in him. So the first passage we're gonna look at is actually in Galatians 5, chapter, or verse one, and it says this, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free, so stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Let's not be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. We've talked about sin in the last couple of weeks. For some of us, it can be an awkward conversation, but one thing that we can all agree upon is we're not perfect, and a lot of those things like drag us down, things that we can't break, habits we wish we could. It's a lot of the, some of our New Year's resolutions, it's February. How are we doing? Uh, Some of our New Year's resolutions are kind of founded in the fact that we know we're stuck in some of this stuff that we wish we could shake free from, right? Uh, A lot of us, we have bad habits. We bite our nails. We do the things. We do a lot worse things. Maybe it's the way that we treat people. We're like, man, I just wish I could stop, right? Some of us, it's straight up addiction. I have tried and tried and tried. I cannot stop. I feel completely stuck within And Jesus is saying, I'm actually setting you free. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. The first thing that freedom in Christ means is that we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. Now, I will say this. That doesn't mean that sometimes we don't just pick up that burden and decide to carry it. It doesn't mean that we'll never sin again it does mean that Jesus has already freed us from it. Jesus has already broken the chains. Jesus has already won the victory. I love this passage in 1 John 4. And as a matter of fact, if you have your Bibles for most of the rest of the weekend, we're gonna be in 1 John chapter 4. But I love this passage there in verse 4 and 5. It says this, for every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We are overcomers in Christ. We are overcomers in Christ. The things that weigh us down, that hold us back, that we feel chained to, stuck to, addicted to, Jesus has broken those chains and he is making us overcomers in him. Now, some of us, we read into this verse, and like, what do you mean it's only for those that believe in Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the source. Jesus is the one that loosed, right, that broke those chains to slavery. To believe in him is to access the power that he has over that part of life. In Christ, our addictions, that bondage no longer has to be a part of who we are. He has once and for all handled it on the cross, It's done. Not only are you forgiven, but now the chains are broken. That's true for every child of God. 
That's true for everyone that has said, Jesus, I trust you. I want to follow you. We're actually adopted into the family of God, and now your sin is completely overcome. It's through our faith in Christ. You see, because how does that work? Well, I have to trust in him. You see, because if I could, if I could probably help just about anything sink into us, it's that our relationship with God is relational. And so it's not just something where he says, hey, I, I checked off that task list for you so it's handled. We have an invitation from our creator, our heavenly father, from our savior to walk life with him, to be with him. And everything that stood in our way, he handled. We've discussed that in previous weeks. And now what he's saying is, as you're walking with me, I want you to discover some of the power, some of the wonder, some of the freedom that comes along being with me. The war with our sin is over. And so now it's time to face our sin from the point of victory, from the point of view of an overcomer, realizing that we're set free. Many of us have a really hard time believing that. Many of us have a really hard time believing that. We don't have this confidence that our sin can be overcome. Maybe there's that one thing, but you know, that thing it just seemed in my past, and, and we might even credit that to being young. We might even credit that to a season of our life. We might credit that to... But then there's this thing or these things that were like, how? I don't know. Maybe I'm just always going to be this way. Before we kind of wrap up that tension, let's actually look at the next thing that freedom in Christ does for us. In 1 John 4, 17 and 18, it says this, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. The second thing that freedom in Christ means is that we no longer have to be fearful. We no longer have to be fearful. Some of us, I've had these conversations actually I feel like a lot lately, so um, I hope this is helpful to more of you than I would even realize. But there's a lot of folks that would worry about their own faith because they get nervous when it feels like they haven't had enough of that victory over sin. They get nervous because they're still prone to, to go and drink the, or go and eat the, or go and look at the, or go and do and say and they still feel all of this desire, all of this proneness to go towards these sinful things, and they're not sure what to do with that. And so they get nervous. Is God just inspecting me? Did God say that he overcame sin just to get out his supernatural clipboard and go, I knew it. You don't believe me enough. You didn't trust me enough. You failed me. Is that what God is doing? Is God just eternally disappointed in who we are and what we can or cannot do? What if I mess up the rules? 
What if I can't keep track of all the do this and do that? And what happens if I'm truly stuck in something and we can now not only think to ourselves, I'm not sure I can break out of the bondage of this sin, but now I'm afraid. I'm afraid that maybe my faith isn't genuine. Maybe I would like to be a Christian. Maybe I would like to follow Jesus, but maybe I'm not. Because I don't see this in my area of life. I want you to hear this promise. If you're taking notes, write down this verse, Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'll say it again for those of you in the back watching online. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This fear that boils up inside of us, this fear that boils up inside of us, what this passage is talking about that we just read is this whole idea that we haven't fully experienced his love. So I don't want to be afraid on the day of judgment. I want to be able to face him with confidence because I want to live like Jesus here in this world. His perfect love expels all fear. If we're still afraid, it's for the fear of punishment. We have not fully experienced his perfect love. You see, it's not that his love isn't there already. It's not that he hasn't handled it already. It's that we haven't fully experienced who he is, and so we're still a little bit fearful on how this is going to play out. We're growing in our faith and in our trust in who God is. Let's think of it this way. Think of one of the last friends you made. Think of one of the last friends that you made, and one of the last times that you had to call on a new friend for advice, for help, to come over and work out something out, to help you move the newer that friend is, the very first time they said they would help you out, it's very, very natural for each and every one of us to think to ourselves, but will they? I mean, like, we've been, we hung out a couple times and we seem to, you know, click at work and, like, we, we tell jokes together and, like, we complain about the boss together. And, but now that I need your help, are you actually going to show up? Because we don't know them that well yet. And then they do. Oh, cool. They show up. And they start to build their reputation with you. They start to prove themselves as a faithful friend. They start to prove themselves as someone that will be there when you need them. They start to prove themselves as someone that says, hey, when I mean I'm your friend, I actually do mean it. And look, my life, my actions, my response is showing that. Now, their faithfulness never changed from the moment your relationship began to the moment that you finally trust that they are in fact trustworthy. But the closer and closer you get in relationship with them, the more and more your trust grows to trust who they are. God is faithfulness. He's not simply faithful. He defines it. God is trustworthiness. Everything we know in the human experience about being trustworthy actually stems from the fact that God implants that 
into the fabric of what it means to be human. He will not fail you. The question is, are we experiencing it yet? Are we at a place in our journey with God where we're not sure if he'll show up on moving day? Are we at a place in our relationship with God where we're not actually sure he's going to call back? Are we at a place in our relationship with God where we're just not sure that he's going to respond like I think a faithful, loving God would? And therefore, I keep him at a distance. In the same way that we would interact with someone that we're afraid of rejection or afraid that they won't respond, I'm not even going to call that friend because, you know, I want things at work to remain normal. And if they don't show up and help me, that's going to get awkward. And so I'm just not going to ask. Do, some, do any of us treat God that way? I don't know if I want to get close to him because if I get close to him, then I'm going to discover whether or not he is the things that some people say that he is. You see, his love, his consistency, your connection with him, that's what casts out the fear, the fear of rejection, the fear of failure, the fear of wandering aimlessly through life, the fear of punishment, the fear of not being able to find ourselves. You see, the closer and closer we get to our Savior, the closer and closer we get to God, the more and more that he expels these things, the more that we walk alongside him, the more his love will expel our fears. We'll trust him more. We'll discover who he is more. We'll learn that his characteristics are actually like defining and they're wonderful. He is there for us when we need him. Will we go to him? What else does this freedom mean? In 1 John 4 and verse 17, it says this, and so if we live in God, our love grows more perfect. It's the, it's the result of what we just talked about. Now our love becomes more perfect. And then we love each other because he first loved us. You see, the third thing that freedom in Christ means is that we are free to live and love well. The freedom in Christ allows us to love people well. It's kind of the, the other side of what we might think of as legalism. For instance, if we think about whether or not we're going to love someone, do something that is loving, how we're going to navigate our life, if we ask the question of ourselves, is this moving me closer to my old bondage to sin? Is this moving closer to my old addictions? Is this moving me closer to the person that I was? Or is this moving me closer to the person of Christ? Is this moving me closer to the freedom that he's giving me? Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. And so a great question for us might simply be, is it helping me love God and is it helping me love other people? Is it helping me love God and is it helping me love other people? Is what I'm about to do, is what I'm about to say, is it gonna help me love my parents? Is what I'm about to say and do, is this going to help me 
love those that are around me on a daily basis? Is what I'm about to say and do, is it gonna help me love my spouse? Is it gonna help me love my kids? Is it gonna help me love my siblings? Is what I'm about to say, what I'm about to do, gonna help me love the person that I'm dating? And in all of these, it's a really important word in that great commandment. It's the word and. In all of these, is it helping me love God? You see, because sometimes loving others can take us down a detour away from what God would say is loving. We misunderstand love sometimes. We misunderstand what it would mean to, to love someone. And in our pursuit of loving a person, we forget that Jesus' greatest commandment starts with, but does it also love God? Can we love God and love others? Because if I want to go grab dinner for my family, I can go grab my daughter's favorite dinner right now from the grocery store, which is the super cheap pack of ramen. But if I grab three bags of those because, hey, honey, I'm going to cook dinner tonight, do you know who I didn't love? My wife. And sometimes in our pursuit of loving other people, we start making ramen, forgetting that God's not all that excited about ramen. How do we love God and how do we love others? Now, here's a bonus. We've been in 1 John 4. I'm not even going to put this one on the screen. You're going to totally connect with this. We've been in 1 John 4, verse 16. It says that God is love. God is love. If you want to know what love looks like, look to him. If you want to know what love looks like, look to Jesus. He and his love lead to life. They always, it always leads to life. So the way in which we want to love others should always be in the way that leads them towards life in Christ. As we talked about in previous weeks, it leads them to finally being saved from those things that are destroying them. It finally leads us to a place where we're now free from our sin, free from our fears, free to be able to now love well. How has he loved me? How has he loved you? Where has he shown you kindness? What are the things you don't want to tell anyone about, but you're realizing more and more that Christ forgave you? What are the things that you're the most ashamed of, but you're experiencing God healing you in those areas of your life? Where has God shown you empathy? You see, because he first loved us. He first loved us. And now we have the opportunity to love each other in the same way. Verse 11 and 12 Say, dear friends, since God loved us so much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, 
God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. The better we love each other, the better people can see God. So when we're arguing over dumb things, when we're yelling at each other, when we're mistreating each other, when we actually grab that old bondage to hate and pick it right back up and we're hating some of each other, that means the world is having a really hard time seeing who God is. But when we can remember how he first loved us, when we can remember his kindness and his empathy and his healing, and we remember what he does and did and will do for us, surely I can love someone else in the same way that I have been loved, and then others will begin to see the wonder, the life, and the love of Jesus Christ. We are free to love well. Your neighbor, the kid that doesn't have both parents at home or doesn't have any parents at home, the kid that just needs a little bit of extra attention, the family that's really going through it right now, the person who's trapped in fear because of their health situation, you have people in your mind that desperately, desperately need loved. And you are free to do that and do it well. His love is brought to full expression in us. The fourth thing that freedom in Christ means is that we are free to live in his purpose. We are God's masterpiece. Ephesians talks about that. It's a wonderful concept that he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Now get this. Here's how much Jesus trusts in the freedom that he's giving you as someone that has chosen to follow him. He already planned out all the amazing things you were going to do in your life. He didn't look at you and go, you know, my freedom I thought was good for all of humanity, but, but Tony, maybe, you know what, we'll just set him to the side and we'll see what happens. No, he planned long ago as a part of his masterpiece the good things that you were going to do in people's life because you're free to live in his purpose. Here's a simple way to think about this. That means together, right, the church of the people that gather together that say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to know more and more about his love and his life and what he has done for me and what I can do now to follow him. The people of God, as we come together, that means that we get to be a hospital for those that desperately need Christ. 
That means we get to do the work that actually when people come in, we can say, welcome, we care for you, we want to be here for you, we want to help you, we want to love you, we want to introduce you to the amazing life and love that is found in Jesus. The pathway that he brings, the health that he brings, everything that Jesus brings to bear, welcome, I want to show you what Jesus has for you too. And that also means that together as the church, as the people that he's called to follow him and love him, that also means that when we gather together, we get to be a charging station for those of us that maybe we don't need a hospital right now, but we're ready and able. And together we actually charge each other up, remind each other who we are, help each other remember we are free in Christ to do the things that he has called us to do. We are free to live in mission and in purpose. You don't have to save your life. It's already been saved. You don't have to fight and battle and overcome sin every day of your life. If you're walking with Jesus, he begins to show you the freedom that he's already given you. You don't have to walk in fear as to whether or not you've got it right. There are so many people that have asked me, Joe, I'm so afraid that God will not accept me. I'm so afraid. I wonder if I've messed up. The very fact that you're afraid and want to be connected with Jesus is a really good sign that you've already given yourself over to Jesus. Give yourself to him and allow him to free you from that fear because he cast out that fear in his perfect love. He is freeing us to love well. He is freeing us to live a life of purpose. When we come together, we are now free to live the life abundant that he promised that his followers could have. So what happens when we feel stuck? What if we don't feel free? For the last couple of weeks, I've been, uh, in some ways, I guess, doing normal things, but um, I've been running and running, but I've been feeling very stuck and uh, I've been feeling like I've been slipping. I had this moment a couple of weeks ago where uh, I just, I ate like an idiot. Like, why did I do that? For some of you, that may not seem like a big deal, but I promise you it is for me. I went on this trip a couple of weeks, or uh, actually just last week, and uh, there's about 16 of us all, from all around the country getting together, rented a house to have these meetings ongoing for a few days. We do it once a year. And uh, on a funny note, whoever did the grocery shopping, I think they were 13 years old. No offense if you're 13. But I think it was like, there's like 16 of us. It was like 20 packs of Oreos. It was like Reese's peanut butter puffs, cinnamon toast crunch. Like we, there had, they had pizza and salad one night on the menu for dinner. They got two bagged salads for 16 of us. They were not, 
If you have food addiction issues like I have, do you know how hard it is? And I just felt this like overwhelming sensation to just dive in anyway. I'm, uh, it's ridiculous how much like frivolous screen time I mean, like, I can only play euchre against the computer so many times. But for some reason, it's like my, my thinking brain doesn't realize that, and it's like, just do it again. Just do it again. I barely even do anything on Facebook. Why is that square so addicting to hit just to see if I have any red circles? I barely post anything to Instagram. Why... Why am I so prone to, I mean, like, have you ever, like, saved something on Instagram because you're like, that's going to be amazing and life-changing the next time I see it, and then you eventually go back to your save, and like, that is the stupidest, why did I ever save this in the first place? And then you, like, want to show somebody, you're like, hang on, this is going to be funny, and then, like, you watch it together, and you're like, I'm so ashamed right now, that is the worst thing ever. I, I, um, I met with a few of my mentors this week. Um, I think I'm going to take a really strong, I, I really think I'm a dopamine addict. And I don't, I don't even mean that like, well, yeah, Joe, like everybody likes dopamine and everybody likes to be rewarded. I, I actually think I subconsciously run from one thing to the next oh yeah, that's bad, and like shut down that season, but then I just run to something else that gives me that, and then I shut down that season, and then I just run to something else. Why is it so hard to put the phone down? Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to not run to the food, or the movie, or the beverage, or the game, or whatever it, And about exactly a week ago, I felt like um, God, who is more faithful than any of us deserve, I feel like hmm, he said, you're, you're trying to live your life for me instead of with me. Because ironically, in that like same window of time that I feel like I'm falling apart, I felt like I kept hearing things like, wow, that was really helpful, Joe. Wow, thanks for doing it. Like I kept hearing this like mixed message, no pun intended if you know what that means. Uh, I kept hearing this like mixed message of like, boy, like God showing up in your life. And I'm like, if you only knew how I am crumbling on the inside right now. And I feel like God in his faithfulness just said, you're running for me and not with me, which reminded me of this verse that is so central where Jesus says this. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. 
And I run, 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 and I'll do, do, do. I try to overcome it on my own. I try to handle my fears on my own. I try to love the unlovable on my own. I try to live in my purpose on my own. But folks, my willpower has a limit. I get stuck too. But why can't, every time I find myself in a season like this, this is true. I have somehow gotten out of the rhythm and I am now doing things for Jesus instead of with him. Jesus didn't say, you can do all these things for me. He said, apart from me, without being grafted into me, without being with me, you can do nothing. Joe, why are you falling into some of these addictive tendencies? Because you've not spent the time with me. Sure, I have Jesus. Look, I'm helping this person, serving here, doing this thing, doing this. Isn't that what you want? Come be with me. Come be with me. I mean, think of like your favorite loved one, and you're going to go on vacation together, and you go on vacation together, and you go skydiving and rock climbing and jet skiing, and you're playing chess and board games and putting the puzzles together, whatever you like to do on vacation without them. And at the end of the vacation, they're like, hey, I thought we were going to go on vacation. We did, didn't we? I mean, I played puzzles. I did the thing. I went jet skiing. I wasn't there. You, you did the right thing. You even did some of the things I like. I wasn't with you. The pain, the weakness, the spiral, the guilt, the shame... Strongly reminded that we are not free for him. We are only free in him. We are not free simply for him. We are only free in him. With Jesus, you can be set free and set free indeed. Charge up with him. Get close. Get confident in his love. Learn that he is trustworthy. Learn that he is faithful and is there for him. Be cleansed. Let God transform you. But the only way to see that happen in your life is to be with him. The 32nd thing here the 10-minute thing here, the every other or so weak thing here is not how we find the freedom in Christ. He overcomes sin. Let me ask you this. What are you not letting go of? What do we keep picking back up? He expels fear. Where are we not letting Jesus' love in to overtake it? Christ loves in us and through us. Who can we help know? The true and life-changing love of Christ. He will live and shine through us. Are we willing to be freed up? To be a vessel? To carry the wonder and life of Christ to those around us? 
God is inviting you in. And if the sin seems too overwhelming, if the fear seems like it's got you in a death grip, if loving those people seems impossible, if living the life that you've heard some people do before just seems out of question, then I implore you, run with him. Because the son sets you free. And then you are truly free. We are only free when we're his. I have a lot to process. I have a lot of conversations to continue. But I know that it's going to be with him. As the band comes out, my spiritual gut instinct says we have a lot to process too. And maybe we need to tell Jesus we're sorry because we've never allowed him into our life before. Maybe we need to tell Jesus we're sorry because we want him, we've given our life to him, but maybe like me, you've been trying so hard to live your life for him that you've actually kept him at arm's distance. And regardless of where you find yourself and regardless of why, the one thing I can promise you, because it's right there in the faithful words of our God and Savior, is an opportunity to come right back. step into sync with him, to run after him, to ask the questions, to seek his heart, to talk to him, to listen to him, to let him show up in the hard conversations, to let him show up and remind you why freedom is so much better, so much better than that thing you find yourself addicted to. Find yourself, him giving you a vision for your life as opposed to just putting up with whatever we've come up with on our own. We are free to live the life that God is inviting us to walk with him. Would you pray with me? God, we cannot do this on our own. And you know that. And you show us that. But not with your clipboard. But through Christ and what he did for us to make it possible to run to you with arms wide open. That Jesus himself is ushering us to our creator to be restored and made new to be set free. And Jesus, whatever those things are in our life that we keep picking back up, 
the things that plague us. I pray that in this very moment, that this would be a mile marker for us in realizing I am now deciding to follow you, Jesus. I place my life in your hands. I place my sin, my fear, my stubbornness, all of it. I give it all to you, Jesus, and I trust where you will guide me and what you'll do in and through me. Show us freedom, Jesus.